Hello and welcome back to Black Doctors Podcast. I am Stephen, your host. This week on the show, we're going to continue with the discussion we started last week with Dr. Robert Ray. He's sharing his experience as a resident where he stood up for what he believed in despite the backlash that he experienced from his residency leadership as well as hospital human resources. We started the conversation last week, definitely a lot of gems and takeaways that will help all of us, no matter where we are at any stage in our career. Unfortunately, some sad news before we get started. Over the weekend, specifically Friday, December 1st, Dr. Jamal Dixon passed away. He is an internal medicine physician. He was actually a guest on the podcast back in season three, episode 14, and he shared his battle with cancer. As a resident physician, he found out that he had an enormous gist tumor gastrointestinal stromal tumor and he shared his experiences of being on the other side of the table from becoming a physician to now being the patient and it was an incredible discussion that we had what people don't know is that when we had that discussion or when we recorded that podcast episode i was actually being worked up for cancer thank god it was negative and after the episode he stayed on and we chatted for a little bit and he gave so much great advice and encouragement and support. He made it the mission of his life to support caregivers that are taking care of their loved ones. And he he founded this uh, caregiver wellness program, an incredible, incredible individual, incredible physician um, will forever be grateful to him for the change he affected for what he shared with all those around him that knew him for the way he was so selfless and even when he was going through you know some of the worst the worst that that you can experience as a patient um, he was still concerned about supporting and giving back to those around him and to those uh, family members of, of people that are patients so to dr jamal dixon of the caregivers sanctuary rest in peace brother After that moment of silence, we're going to jump into today's episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And so I continued to do what I had done since I had gotten there because, like, you know, my questions hadn't been answered. Like, why is this changing? Why am I being told one thing at one time and then another? And if it's not a residency problem, HR doesn't come to Grand Rounds. Because what we were discussing was they weren't telling me that I couldn't wear my bracelet anymore because it was already in writing that I could wear my bracelet. They were telling yeah. me that I couldn't wear anything that said Black Lives Matter to Grand Round or our education, like our residency education. And to me, that, like, if I can wear the bracelet in the emergency department when I'm taking care of patients and, and the public, then why in this, like, classroom setting can I... Why, it was just, it was all very confusing. Yeah. Something's fishy. Um, and so I, I continued and they sent an email in January. He said, you know, I saw that you're wearing a Black Lives Matter hoodie to Grand Rounds. So I just want to make sure you understood that, you know, we're saying that this isn't allowed. And so I sent a very long email basically expressing that I felt like 
they were avoiding the true nature of the discussion. They didn't want to answer any of my questions when I asked them about like why the change. I felt like I was being singled out. I was feeling very unsupported, very just overall bad about the entire situation. And so I have questions. Can I wear things that say all lives matter or white lives matter or trans lives matter? Can I wear these other things that are against the dress code? Or is it is it just BLM that we're focused on? Because that's what it seems like to me. And once again, he didn't answer any of the questions. And said, this was the program dire- program, program leadership director. or HR, yep. just program. program. Okay. And so that, at that point is when he said, okay, well then we're just going to have, you have to meet with HR. And so we did in February, first day of Black History Month, February 1st. <laughs> and, you know, I won't go through the entire conversation that's in the blog, but it was basically the same things. I had the same questions, except this time, you know, they started to provide a little more, you know, some answers, not what I was expecting. So in my head, how I thought this would play out was, you know, this is like an education issue. Like they just don't understand like the perspective. They don't understand like the dichotomy that they're creating. Like we're going to have an educated discussion about this and then, you know, it'll be an ongoing thing, but you know, we could reach some sort of common ground or some kind of understanding, or maybe they can explain to me a reason why this is changing. And, you know, that makes sense. And then, you know, maybe I can, you know, come to their side, but that is not what happened. It was supposed to be my impression, just me and the HR representative. Yeah. But it was, <laughs> I show up to the meeting and it's me and the HR representative. And then my program director, the assistant program <laughs> director and our program coordinator, all of whom Jeez. I know are not in agreement with me, which right. I mean, I, thought was odd in the first place because if like especially with human resources that that is very problematic from the power dynamic from from the whole situation it was just i was like from jump i was like yeah this is i know exactly what this is and so i go through i had went through the dress code i highlighted it i looked at i i didn't see anything that was applying in the way that they were trying to apply it to me and so i asked them like where what part of this dress code are you saying applies to what I'm wearing? And she said, you know, I think it's like line 21 or something. And it's basically the casual workday dress code policy, which is what they're saying ground rounds is. And the very last bullet, there's at least 10 bullets. It says you can't wear anything that's offensive, political, or an advertisement. And okay. I said, oh, okay. That's interesting. So which one are you saying it is? Because I don't think it's any of those things. And, and this was when, this was when it started to make sense to me where I like made that connection. Like, okay, this is coming. I think this is coming from you because my program director jumps in and starts to say, you know, like, well, you know, if they have a PAC and you can donate money to their PAC and then they can go and lobby. (laughs) And that sounds pretty political to me. And I instantly was like, well, that doesn't make sense because anybody, we can go make a PAC right now. It'll take probably less than five minutes and we can call it whatever we want. We can do whatever we want with it. But just because someone has a PAC 
and chooses it to to name it or use it for that doesn't that doesn't make whatever they name it about political just like you can make a PAC about anything and you know he they didn't so I like laid out this example about the NFL and they have PACs but we don't just assume that we're supporting their politics when we wear right. their jerseys or their memorabilia and you know he didn't really have a good response to that and so then I asked the HR representative, I said, okay, so he says that this is a political issue. What do you, what do you say? And she said, well, I think it can be interpreted as offensive. And I was not oh expecting boy. that. Because oh boy. even if someone really thought that, which I, I'm sure I know that people do think that, I never thought someone would have the goal to say it out loud in an HR meeting from an HR representative. It's just like <laughs> HR 101. Like, I don't even, I don't even think that word is supposed to be in the vocabulary. <laughs> and so then I'm like, oh, okay, well, we have to dive into this. And so we kind of have a little back and forth and, you know, it just really seemed like they had their mind made up. It was very frustrating being in those meetings because, you know, every, we're all educated people and I'm expecting to have these like educated conversations where I ask like what I think is a reasonable question, like, okay, so we have all of these trainings. We have all of this stuff for LGBTQ trans communities, you know, their underrepresentation, you know, their poor outcomes in healthcare. We we're saying we care about all of those things. And I agree with that. So you're saying we can wear pronoun pins. You're saying we can, you know, these things. How do you not, draw the comparison between these group, this group of people and the group of people that I'm talking about, because to me, the oppression is the same. Yeah. So how is this okay? But this isn't. So you're talking about this groups, isn't yeah. okay because it's political or offensive. At the time, there was nothing more political than LGBTQ rights. Just like two weeks prior to this, they had voted on um, gay marriage again you know, there's all this, you know, things with, you know, what Tennessee is doing, well, what they were doing at the time with the, with the drag readings and the drag brunches and, you know, the bathrooms and, you know, it was a, it was a constant everyday thing. Nothing is, you know, more in politics than that. And they were like, well, you know, we want to, you know, be supportive to that community and, you know, improve their health outcomes and let them know that, you know, we'll take care of them here. And I said, okay, what about black people? And silence. And so we have, we're having this back and forth and I have all these questions that I think are reasonable, but their, their answers are essentially like, no, like this, this is the rule. So. so there is no like real discussion, which is, which was basically like beating my head against the wall. And so at the very end, I, you know, we come, I'm like, okay, this meeting isn't going anywhere. We've been here for like an hour. I've laid out like all of these, all of these things. And you're just kind of continue to just shut it down. Like, you know, this is the law. This is the rule. This is, this is what's going to be. So we're not going to come to any common ground. So I will follow the dress code even though I don't agree with the dress code or the interpretation, if everybody has to follow the dress code, but I'm not going to be singled out. And 
the HR representative said, yes, like that's why we have these policies. Like everyone, their policies are for everyone in the hospital. And my program director said, that's ridiculous. And that's when the light really went off because that was just the most unreasonable response I think you could possibly have in this situation. I feel like I was being reasonable saying, okay, if everyone has to follow the rules then I'll follow the rules, fine. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss how this could you know, be problematic. But if everyone has to follow the rules, then I'll follow the rules. And then your response to that is that it's ridiculous that everyone has to follow the rules. So, you know, you have to make everyone follow the dress code and all of the residencies and all of the meetings. That sounds, that's like the definition of fair. And so he went on like a small tangent about it. And she was like, no, everyone has to follow the rules. And I told her, I said, they're not, like, you can see his reaction. They're not going to make everyone follow the rules. They're not going right. to. I'm telling you how this is going to play out. And she said, no, like, we'll make sure of it. And, and what said, were the okay. repercussions? Like, if they didn't? Or, like, or, yeah, for you, if, if you didn't uh, get on board, what were they They were threatening you with? They, they didn't have any at the time. They didn't. There was no, like, if you don't, then we're going to do this. Or if you, then... You know, they're really, I didn't really think there needed to be because, like I said, if everyone has to, then I'll do it. And they, and I said, they're not going to make everyone follow the rules. She said, okay, well, you keep track, you know, of everyone. So once again, put, put the duty on me to do their job. So I keep track. Yeah. I keep track of everyone who's breaking the dress code violate the dress code policy and, and then, you know, let them know and they'll do something about that. So I just felt like they kept re- reiterating, like I knew that this was not about the dress code based on how right. they were acting and the things that they were saying, but you know, people, you know, they'll say, they'll say whatever they have to say. And they're like, Oh, this is a dress code. This is a dress code policy. And so later that evening, so I go from that meeting to grand rounds and it's black history month, which, you know, you know what that means? That means we're going to have DEI grand rounds in yep. February. So now I have to off. listen to these same people talk to me about the importance of, you know, representation and inclusion in the emergency oh department. And, and I'd sit there for three hours and try not to vomit. And then they sent out an email later that evening. It's titled administrative updates. Okay. This is going to be the email. They're going to tell everyone about the dress code. Nope. Bunch of other stuff. Not a word about the dress code. I said, okay. Once again, they don't care about the dress code. So the next week comes and they didn't send out an I can I wore a hoodie that said Black Lives Matter in sign language <laughs> because they didn't tell everyone that they had to follow the dress code. And so I was very clear. I wasn't going to be singled out. You'd have to make everyone do it and make a statement so that everyone is doing it, or I'm going to just continue to do what everyone else is doing, which is wear casual clothes to grandma. And so then that evening they sent out and after that grand rounds, they sent out an email about the dress code and the residents were all confused, just as confused as I was because there was no dress code at grand rounds. You came in shorts, you came in sweats, pajamas, like whatever. And they're like, where is this coming from? So there's a, you know, small uproar in the residency, but continue on, continue on. And 
you know, there's a lot more details in the blog. I don't want to. Oh just yeah, keep yeah definitely. Read it's easy to keep going, but <laughs> they essentially nobody follows the dress code. Other, I mean, there's faculty members that aren't following the dress code. There's, you know, resident is. I don't even think most of the residents read the dress code because they knew that this was not going to be like enforced on them. They yeah. weren't concerned. And so I did what I was advised to do. And I kept a running list of everybody that was breaking the dress code and how they were breaking the dress code. And honestly, that felt terrible because I mean, these are like my friends and like my mentors that I'm like keeping this list of, but I know that if I don't keep the list, then they're going to just claim that it didn't happen, claim that. And, but then doing keeping it, you know, makes me feel like, you know, I'm snitch, you know, snitching on them or whatever it is. And, but it, it, it was just, it just was not a good environment to be in. And so we ended up having like more meetings with HR because at the end of that meeting, I told them that I didn't feel like I had resolution and I wanted to, you know, speak to someone else about how this dress code is being interpreted. And she shut me down. She said, I'm HR. You don't get to speak to higher ups, Mm. which once again, HR 101, I didn't think that was in their vocabulary. Right. So I was like, oh, but I mean, I wasn't just going to listen to her because that's what she said. Like I knew that there was someone else to talk to. And so I, you know, emailed the, the director of DEI for the network who I had come to know because I had been doing lots of DEI work in the network. And she had a meeting with me and I never went to a meeting alone after that first one. Okay. Because I was like, one, I'm going to need witnesses because in the state of Pennsylvania, it's illegal to record someone without their consent and knowledge. And two, I just needed that support there because clearly they were coming in groups. And so, you know, I had luckily for me some really supportive faculty and attendings. Um, and so they would go to the meetings with me. And so, you know, I told her the whole story and she said, is discrimination. This is terrible. So we have two options to deal with this. One is through HR. I know her boss. We can get a meeting with her and her boss. I don't think they know the background of the rest of this that's going on. So I want them to hear the rest of it. And she said, two, graduate medical education. You can file a claim of discrimination. And I said, okay. And so we kind of took it step by step. And so we had this meeting with that same HR lady and her boss. Sorry the HR representative and her boss. And I told them the whole story and they were flabbergasted by the stuff that the program administration was saying about making this like an HR problem. She told me that the only conversation she had with my program director, Dr. Quinn was in October. He called her and asked if it was okay for, if it was against the dress code for a resident to wear a shirt that said black lives matter to grand round. Now, she was on vacation, she told me during this call, and it was just a couple minutes long, and she said yes, and he basically said, okay, and that was, a, this, that, was, that was the discussion. That was his definition of due diligence. And so they were all upset that, they, that my program administration basically threw HR under the bus and kind of roped them right. into it. 
And so I was like, so you're telling me that you guys weren't even on the same page. And then you agreed to have this meeting with me about this before you even knew any of the background information or any of this stuff. And, you know, I told her what she said and why it was hurtful and why it was offensive. And they were like, okay, you know, we need to have like, we're going to, we're going to do all these things like yada, yada, yada. And that just never happened. They were supposed to follow up. They were supposed to do all these things. I gave them, I, I, I told them at that time about the other residents and the faculty members that were not following the dress code. So they knew about it. Nothing happened. Just like I predicted, right. <laughs> nothing happened. So fast forward, they, I, you know, a lot of stuff is kind of going on in between with like rumors and, you know, my program administration telling people that I need to watch my back or I'm going to get fired, you know, other ridiculous things that they would say about not wanting people, not wanting residents like me, residents like me there anymore for the future matches, whatever that means. And it was just miserable. And so the residents start talking amongst themselves separate, separate from me. I basically had, you know, withdrawn from all social activities and they were like, okay, well, no one's enforcing this dress code and it, we think it's stupid. So we're just not going to follow the dress code. Right. And they're like, yeah, we're not following the dress code. So they were intentionally breaking the dress code to see if anyone would say anything to them. And so I hear about this in the springtime and I'm like, so I start talking to the residents. I'm like, so no one has said anything to you guys. Like you wear <laughs> ripped jeans or sweats or whatever. And they say, no, no one's ever said anything to me. Like we joke about it. We are just like, oh yeah, the dress code that nobody follows. So I said, okay, I'm was very clear that I was not going to be singled out and I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. So I wear a hoodie says black lives matter. And I arrive to Grand Rounds and I get off the elevator. They're sitting in a table, like right in front of the elevator. She sees me, you know, she gets this look like, and I walk to my seat and she follows in right behind me. I mean, literally I sit down, I put my bag down and then she's in my ear. And she says, you need to take that off or I'm going to, or you need to leave. And granted, she just walked by like a right. handful of people that were clearly breaking the dress code, wearing sweats, wearing ribbed dreams, wearing caps, just at my table, not even just in the entire room, just at my table. At the same time, she's wearing sandals, which is against the dress code. So I look her in her eye and I say, I will take this hoodie off and follow the dress code when you make every other single person in here follow the dress code. And not until then will I even consider mm -hmm. taking this hoodie off. And that was the first time the entire year that they enforced the dress code. So they start like going up to people and like texting people and like making uh, them leave grand rounds to go change, including faculty members, right? Because faculty members are, have also <laughs> not been. And so everyone is confused. There's this whole like ruckus when we're supposed to be learning. Right. And so they have to like go home and change or like take stuff off. And everyone's very confused. Faculty members had to leave and go home. And so then she texts me and says, okay, everyone that's breaking the dress code has been notified and it's been addressed. Can you take your hoodie off 
or go home and change. Now, I had been looking at this dress code for like months at this time. So I knew it. I knew everything about the dress code to make sure that I was following Hmm. it and to keep like to keep track. And I assume since they had kept referring me to the dress code that they had also read it and would also know like what was against the dress code, like flip flops, sandals, sweatpants, hats, graphic t-shirts, etc. And so everyone had not been addressed that was breaking the dress code. There was people sitting next to me and across from me that also, and so I replied that actually, no, they haven't been addressed. Like people are still not following the dress code, but once again, you're worried about me. So it's going to, when everyone has to follow it, I'll follow it. And so then she gets upset and texts my program director who starts using like tiger text or like the hospital, like texting paging system to notify me on my phone. Once again, while we're supposed to be learning, you know, about this. And so eventually I am just like, okay. And so I take it off and I hang it on the back of my chair. And to me, it was like, I always knew that it wasn't about the dress code. Right. And this was, this was just the proof to everybody because no, they had, they did not care about the dress code. As long as I was not wearing anything black lives matter, the rest of the dress code didn't matter. It was never addressed. They, they never cared about it until I wore something that said black lives matter and refused to do what they told me to do until they did what they originally said they were going to do, which was apply it to everyone. And so that was one of the worst days to, you know, be blatantly singled out like that in front of everybody. But then at the same time, it was also so reassuring because I knew the entire time what this was about. And they not only just proved it to me, they proved it to everybody else that was in that room. And so, you know, I go on about my day and then the next day they send out an email once again. (laughs) Now they're talking about the dress code, like just a reminder after two and a half months of us not enforcing it, here's the dress code. And, you know, they CC the HR representatives and some other like program administration, which I took as a, you know, they're like, oh, here he is again. Like, this is, you know, him, he's the problem. Like, what are we going to do about this? And so for the first time, I hate reply all. <laughs> I hate reply all emails. You replied for all? The first time, for the first time <laughs> in residency, I replied all. And I wrote an email. Basically, I laid out like the highlights about the dress code. And that was the first time that the residents kind of had an idea of what was going yeah. on. They didn't, hmm. they, some people had heard rumors that the dress code was about like BLM. Some people thought it was about other people that like wore like shorts that were too short. Some like they, some people had no idea. And so I basically, you know, expressed that they were trying to single me out. I told them that I didn't think it was fair and that everyone had to follow it. That's when they sent out that email in February. Nobody really paid attention to the dress code and nobody enforced it. And so then I explained kind of what happened the rest of that day and, you know, and then that's when people started to have an idea. And 
that obviously led to another HR meeting, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can see that coming. Um, and, you know, so on and so forth. So that was kind of like the spark notes of how the year went. There's some other things that, you know, didn't really make it into the blog that happened. Like, for instance, they knew that I was going to post a blog because I told okay. them during, you know, when I met with the DIO and that second time I met with HR, you know, I told them, I basically explained that when you start as a resident, you're basically, you're, there's nothing you can do. You're trapped. Like, yeah. It's incredibly difficult to change residencies. It's almost impossible to do it without like a strong recommendation from your program administration. So there's really nothing you can do. You just kind of have to suck it up and you have to do whatever you're told. I said, but the, the interesting thing about the end of residency is the tables kind of turn because I don't have any obligation to this hospital, to this program, like once I'm done. And I had kept all of my, I saved all of my evaluations, all of my, all of the objective things that I needed to complete residency. Yeah. And all of the subjective things that people had even said about me. And so they had no grounds to fire me based on merit. They had no grounds to not let me finish. That's because huge. It was all, I had the paper trail. So you guys, I think that I'm right. You guys think that you're right. The difference is, is that I am at least open to the possibility that I could be wrong, even though I really don't think I am. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write it all down and then I'm going to put it on the internet and then we'll let the public decide. And they said, okay, do what you think you have to do. So they weren't surprised by the blog because they knew, they knew that it was going to happen because I told them months before that I was doing it. Yeah. They were surprised by the response and they only cared. They, they only acted, acted because of the response that they got from the public. Wow. And what was that from your interpretation, kind of the backlash or the response that that happened? So I, I remember, so I posted it before I technically graduated. I finished, I finished my last shift in the ER on, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. And then that, and then graduation was on Friday. And technically we were under contract for another like week or two, but our program after graduation, they didn't make us work anymore. And so I finished that shift and I remember like, obviously I know going into it, like that at the end of the shift, like that's why I'm going to post it. And so I remember like being anxious and I remember I was sweating and I was shaking because what I, 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 I didn't know. I really expected people to respond in a negative fashion. And I expected, mm. especially because of like the area that, that we lived in and the community that I know how, how, you know, bad this could have gone, you know, death threats, people like leaving negative comments and, you know, all, all of that. And so I expected, I expected a lot of that. And then I expected some of the other like positive support as well. Honestly, after the, how the year had been going and the, the kind of mindset I was in, I was like living in this like negative environment. And so that's, yeah. that's my expectation. And it was the opposite of what I expected it, you know, luckily for me, I had a lot of support, you know, from my residents or my co-residents 
they all reposted it. They all offer their support. They all read it. A lot of a lot of the faculty members, you know, reached out to me, not, you know, online or over the phone. And, you know, a lot of the people the people that I worked with, my coworkers, the nurses, the techs, the the other residents in the hospital, not in my program, the attendings, you know, they all, you know, reposted it, talked about, you know, how they thought I was a really good resident, how they, and so I think that, you know, that was the kind of initial wave, which I was very appreciative of. But then the people that didn't know me started to, started to read it. And then it started to really kind of gain traction and, you know, overwhelming support. You know, obviously it's not, it's not all that, which is fine, but overwhelming positive response, which was the opposite really of what I expected. And I think what I was, I think we're kind of trained to believe, especially in the moment, or I guess conditioned, maybe not trained to feel like we're alone or you're by yourself. Yeah. And I, you, like you always know, like, I know I'm not the only one experiencing this, but it just feels like, it just feels like we're alone. And so the number of people that reached out to me, people of color, people that are marginalized that said, you know, I experienced the same exact thing, or I experienced something just like this, or I'm going through this right now. And I'm glad that you said something because I was so beat down, so exhausted or so scared that I, that I couldn't. And, and I've always regretted or I regretted not saying something or not doing something. I just put my head down and move on or, you know, the same exact thing that I, that I did, you know, when that orange comment was made. Right. And I felt like that's when I, I think that's what I was most proud of is being able to kind of lay out this landscape for other people to come and share their stories and their experiences and their trauma and kind of have this community where they didn't have to feel like they were alone anymore. And, you know, there are a lot of people who trained or were training at Lehigh Valley that reached out to me and was like, oh, I know exactly the person you're talking about. (laughs) I'm, you know, or this happened to me. And that some of these things, even when I was there that I didn't know about, right? Because you, I mean, you're you're encouraged to, to, to keep it to yourself. And, you know, people from other programs, like all across the country. And so there was... I, I didn't expect as much as that as I got, which when I look back is what I, what I'm like most proud of. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, writing it and posting it had to have been cathartic and that overwhelming support. Cause like, like you mentioned, we're all going through, you probably all have a similar situation or story and maybe you're the person that took the bracelet off or, and took the hoodie off and just follow the rules, or maybe you're somebody that spoke truth to power. And I know your story kind of helps give people a lay of the land and and realize you're not alone and what you can do to kind of combat some of these uh, experiences. I wanted to highlight two things. One, when you were 
in those meetings, you, you know, if you're in a situation like this, you need to know the rules and the policies better than the people that are trying to enforce them. There's so many times your direct leadership will try to enforce something that's, you know, beyond their purview, whether that's, you know, it's clear this is an HR issue, plus minus, or, you know, hospital rules and regulations that supersede that uh, paternal or maternal um, position of your program leadership and realize that they're not the end-all beat-all for a lot of these. You sign a contract with a hospital or some kind of program and there's a specific way that these uh, situations need to play out. So you got to protect yourself, know your risk exposure. And then the other part I want to touch on, Robert, because clearly, I mean, you had a track record of being a phenomenal resident. You had the subjective and objective data that you knew you were finishing this residency program and just know, you know, you're standing the same when I was a anesthesia resident, we had a whole system. It's all written. It's got to be written down, right? For it to be a, a program, you're going to get evaluated X number of months. If you get X number of bad evaluations, they now have standing to delay your graduation. It, it's written down somewhere. Get that information, know where you are, and know what you what you have to lose um, depending on the choices that you make. Absolutely. And, you know, that was something that, that I definitely had to weigh on. And, you know, I just, I did this because it's what I thought was right and what was right for me in the situation. I in no way would expect someone else to, you know, I, I knew that I was risking a lot and that even though I had all of this data to back, you know, my performance as a resident, that if they became hateful enough or they really wanted to, they could try to fire me and make my life more difficult in, in, that, in that way. Now, obviously, there is legal repercussions to, to things like that, but I know that that... I was, I like to think that I was privileged in the way that I didn't have a family or anybody relying on me. Yeah. That I, to, to, I only had to take care of myself and my cat, uh, which I was confident I would be able to do. And not everyone has, you know, that privilege either. So, you know, there was a lot of, you know, thought that went, that went into this, but I definitely made sure that I understand the rules that were set out for the hospital ask questions about the interpretation and made sure I also knew the, the rules and guidelines for like residency in the ACGME and um, graduating and finishing my program. Awesome. Well, Dr. Robert Ray, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. I mean, if you need to start reading the blog because it, it lays everything out so clearly and then you kind of filling in some of these, these issues and, and, you know, just incredibly powerful, powerful story. Um, love to have you on the show anytime. We'll be waiting for the for the book when you decide to write it. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> Thanks for having me. I don't know. I don't know about a book, but you never know what what happens in the future. So awesome. Tune in next week to Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Tune in next week. We'll be back. In the meantime, we're going to give some updates on 
the promotion or the uh, partnership we're, we're doing with the Student National Medical Association, we are donating $5 for each review that we receive um, until the end of the year. So we started out with, I think, 90 reviews on iTunes, and I think we're up to 93 or 94. So, you know, we're, we're donating up to $600. So please share with uh, friends, family members, whoever. And all you need to do is leave a review, leave a comment, leave anything. And for each one of those, we'll give a $5 donation to Student National Medical Association to help celebrate their 60th year anniversary. On Spotify, we start out with 20 reviews or ratings. We're up to 25. So um, whichever venue you choose to listen to the podcast on, go ahead and leave a review, leave a ranking, and we will use that to help support the Student National Medical Association. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Daughters Podcast. We're here because representation matters.